One of the most beautiful parts of being a priest is something that you might not necessarily have thought of before, but preparing the sick and the suffering for their transition from this world to the next. I was there when both of my parents passed away. You know, I've been there for people who were surrounded by their loved ones, their family, and their friends. And sometimes I was the only person with them when they breathed their last. If I could, I would write a book about the tremendously beautiful experiences that I have been graced enough to witness in those dramatic moments. So, in a way, not that I've ever become too comfortable with death, because I don't think anyone ever gets comfortable with it, but there's something quite beautiful about having that as such a normal part of my life. But I think that's not really the case for most people, right? A lot of times people aren't quite sure what to say or what to do. And I have to say, some of the weirdest things that I've ever heard come out of the mouths of human beings have been during those moments. Death is a tough pill for us to swallow, and so we want people to say what we want to hear so that they and we feel better. And so even amongst Christians, we risk developing this sickness of just flat-out lying to people about the afterlife so that they don't feel bad. But lying to people doesn't do them any good. And it is important that Christians never play games with people and tell them the truth about this life and the next. But first of all, we have to ask ourselves, how do we even find out the truth about the afterlife? I mean, human reason is pretty unhelpful here. I mean, has anyone ever been able to give a scientific account of the afterlife? It is all a great mystery. And the only authority that we can rely on for revealing eternal truths that are not accessible to reason is divine revelation what is contained in Scripture and tradition. So what does God's Word say, and what does the teaching of the authority of the Catholic Church tell us? Well, you might be surprised to hear this, but there's not really a lot out there, okay? There's a lot of speculation out there and a lot of theological opinions. And from one point of view, you're certainly free to entertain any of those opinions the church has not definitively declared on. But the church has always urged a serious reserve towards what are called the last things. Engaging in endless speculation on these things is rarely balanced and healthy. After centuries in which a theological opinion was widely accepted in Catholicism, in which unbaptized babies went to a place of natural happiness, but not supernatural happiness, called limbo, today the International Theological Commission has said that all that we can really say about this is we commend them to the mercy of God. Now, it may sound like an intellectual cop-out, but it really isn't. If we truly understand the depths of the mercy of God, 
we would be more than happy to commend everyone to the mercy of God. And what's more, to accept the just judgment by which the Eternal Father, at the end of our earthly life, ratifies the fate that we have chosen by our actions in the case of hell, or welcomes us into the beatific vision in the case of heaven. And those, ultimately, are our two choices. Heaven, the full possession of God, and hell, the unending absence of God. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about that heresy in the ancient church called apocatastasis, which said that somehow, some way, it all kind of comes out in the wash at the end, right? It sounds great, doesn't it? Because Jesus came to save all humanity, so we dare to hope that all will be saved in the end, except for the fact that our Lord himself expressly affirms the existence of hell and that yes, you can actually go there. So the church following the plain meaning of Holy Scripture and not twisting herself into philosophical pretzels condemned this idea as a heresy. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, it's reemerged in our own time. Again, what is the root of this heresy? Our understanding of free will and the nature of sin. Catholic doctrine is that we are free to choose good or evil, and that because of that, we are ultimately responsible for our choices. There may be mitigating factors in our culpability, but if we are in our right mind, and that's an important thing to affirm because if we're not, culpability is lessened or even removed, we have a free choice. Also, sin is serious business. When we rebel against God and choose the absence of good, which is evil, it produces disorder, chaos, and destruction in the soul. The church, based on St. Paul, distinguishes between venial sin and mortal sin. Venial sins are those of lesser gravity, or those sins of great gravity which are committed without sufficient consent or deliberation of the will. A mortal sin is one of grave matter, sufficient consent and deliberation of the will. And the word mortal means your soul dies, okay? You know, it only takes one bullet to kill a man. And one unrepented mortal sin is sufficient to damn the soul to hell for all eternity. This is the reality. Not because Jesus is a meanie, right? We choose to commit spiritual suicide when we freely commit mortal sin. Jesus is not going to force us into an eternity of loving friendship with him when we've given the middle finger to God that we prefer some created lesser good than him. But the state of our soul is not something which we can know with absolute clarity, okay? We'd have to be God to know that. We can have a certain moral certainty based on what we know we have done and left undone, 
But, you know, we can never say that about another person, right? When we hear the words, judge not lest ye be judged, we often forget that a logical consequence is that we also don't have the right to say things like, well, you know, I just know she's in heaven. Now, you may have a moral certainty that certain people who have been wonderful and amazing through their lives, right, and recognized as a saint by everyone who knew them is in heaven, but you can't say that, right, because that belongs to God alone. And remember, the converse is true. Anybody who looked at the death of the thieves crucified with Christ on Good Friday might think that they had a moral certainty that the man tradition has assigned the name of Dismas was on the down elevator. Right? Yet Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. You can't judge because that belongs to God, and you are not God. So we have to stop pretending what we have no right to say in either direction. I've said this before, but when we get to heaven, I think there's going to be a lot of surprises, right? People who are like, oh, I'm sure she's there. Mm, where's she at? And the Lord Jesus said, tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before you. That's Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. There are going to be a lot of surprises. But what about someone who dies, not in the state of mortal sin, but in the state of grace? Okay. We have to remember the distinction between temporal punishment and eternal punishment. Right? When a sinner is forgiven, he is freed from the penalty of eternal punishment, right? We are freed from hell, thank God, right? But sin leaves behind its wounds. And God sometimes allows us to suffer the consequences of our sin, what are called temporal punishment, due to sin. And he does so in his mercy, because by undergoing that punishment, we make reparation to God's justice for our sin, realize the true gravity of sin, and learn how to bless the mercy of God. The healing of those wounds is something which can be done in this life by our encounter with grace. It's done by penance and mortification. But sometimes that healing is not complete when we die. We are in the state of grace, but there is deeper healing in the soul that is still. Purgatory is that state of purification in which those wounds are totally healed, and we are made whole by the encounter with divine love so that we can enter into the divine presence completely, fully, and wholeheartedly. But here's the thing, and this is what I find so amazing. God allows us to participate in that purification by our prayers and works of mercy, right? You know, only love purifies and heals. And that love is not an emotion. It's not a vague feeling. That love is expressed in concrete acts. 
The ultimate concrete act of love was Jesus' offering of himself on the cross in atonement for our sins. And when we unite our prayers, sacrifices, and good works to the cross, those are concrete acts of love which God uses to purify and heal us. We are all baptized into the body of Christ, and so it is the entire body of Christ, all the members of the church, who participate in this redemptive act by concrete acts of love. Nothing we do on our own has any merit at all, right? But united to the cross, the church becomes an inexhaustible treasure of merit, and all of the wounds of sin become healed. It emphasizes the incredible unity of all of humanity redeemed in Christ. And that is why the church urges her children to have the Mass, which is the representation of that act of love on Calvary, celebrated for the living and the dead. That is why the church invests certain prayers, sacrifices, and works of mercy with indulgences for the dead, applying the merit of Christ in which we participate by our love to those who can do nothing more for themselves. When we pray for the dead, we perform the ultimate act of charity. Because the dead cannot do anything more for themselves. They are no longer free to choose. They are no longer in their bodies, which are constitutive of their person. Now, we live in a culture that has totally lost its sense of the reality and the gravity of sin. But even more so, we've lost that sense of the fundamental unity of all redeemed humanity in Christ. Right? and our duty in charity to help each other with our prayers and loving acts. We've replaced it with rank sentimentality at best and callous indifference at worst. We put people who are sick and suffering out of sight and out of mind, and when they die, we want to dispose of them as cheaply and conveniently as possible. It is one of the most horrifying things that have ever happened in my priesthood to receive the ashes of a human being delivered to me by the FedEx man. My friends, that's paganism. But there's where we are. It's horrifying, right? And then in that context, we want to lie to each other about the fate of the deceased and what the dead really want. And funerals have become these grotesque celebrations of self-absorption, instant canonizations, and just sentimental nonsense. Heaven got another angel that grew her wings. What total absolute nonsense is that? That's not a thing. Why say this to people? I'm saying this because it needs to be said in a culture which is denying all of these things, but if a soul is in hell, then there is absolutely nothing that's going to change that, okay? And in fact, any kindness you show them is going to be part of their torment because they will realize what they've lost. 
If a soul is in heaven, they did not become an angel. They're not sitting there floating on clouds, smiling and cooing over what you've done for them. They have Jesus, right? They don't need your sappiness. If a soul is in purgatory, what they need from you and what they want from you is your prayers. They want your love, concrete acts of love in actually praying and sacrificing for them. That's all they want because that's all they need. And that's how we show them true love. We pray and sacrifice for them so that their wounds may be healed. And think about this. When their purification is complete, do you think they're going to be like thinking about you and being like, oh, well, thanks, guy. No, they're going to be powerful intercessors for you as well. That's why I always recommend for people to pray for the souls in purgatory, to pray for the most forgotten souls in purgatory. It is the best way of paying it forward. So let's skip all the silliness that our culture has invested death with and do what the holy souls, and they are holy souls, need. Your love poured out for them in prayer, penance, and works of mercy. And see how it'll do amazing things for your life as well.